Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Third Spin. It's Adam Chemielewski here, and it's definitely been a while since I've done one of these episodes for you all. I hope everything is great, or at least as great as things can be in these crazy times. And with Matt and I devoting the occasional Spooky Season episodes to the works of John Carpenter, it would be a fucking crime if my dumbass did not devote an episode of The Third Spin to him because, and hopefully most of you already know this, John Carpenter was also a composer who scored a majority of his own films when he wasn't writing them, producing them, or directing them. Dude was a goddamn beast. So aside from his film scoring, Carpenter has um, got IMDb soundtrack credits on Amazon's Homecoming, The Simpsons, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and this 2015 movie called Love by Gaspar No, and like no joke this movie's nuts I'm going to describe the first 15 minutes of it for you and uh, basically two people do it there's penetration everything and these aren't like perfectly crafted porn star bodies it's just like basically looking at like me do it and um, then it cuts to this really intense like one shot scene of inner dialogue and it's actually really really cool and then it's right back to people doing it once again penetration and everything Carpenter he's got a lot of soundtrack credits on IMDb uh, like a ton of them actually so um, aside from his soundtrack work this guy actually he um, performed live he made his music festival debut at all tomorrow's parties in iceland in 2016 and he even toured in 2018 which actually culminated with a halloween night show in 2018 at the hollywood palladium which i was living here in los angeles at the time but unfortunately i am not cool enough to attend that though i can only imagine it was absolutely amazing but in recent years, which I mostly attribute to the internet and the Death Waltz record company, who reissued some of his soundtracks, plus people buying $30 final records to satisfy the so-called audio shot of nostalgia, or they're just trying to look cool for whoever they're trying to impress. But anyway, with these reissues on vinyl lately, Carpenter's work as a composer is getting a whole new light of recognition, going beyond the stock knowledge of his um, you know, Halloween-themed composition. And I'm not going to lie, and I said this on the Occasionalist last episode, the Halloween theme is one of the first pieces of music that actually ignited a sense of fear in me like actual i'm not going to go into that room because michael myers might be in there kind of fear well that other famed like pieces of terror implying movie music failed to do so like seriously like fuck the jaws theme even by 1994-95 when i first saw halloween the jaws theme which at one point in time was some scary shit but by the 1990s, it was more of an audio precursor to an attempt at humor in the swimming pools worn out by every suburban father across America. But what is easily Carpenter's most recognizable contribution to the motion picture scoring and soundtracking is in no way, shape, or form a definitive example of what his music style is all about. In fact, it's actually quite the opposite. Um, when I was doing some earlier research on John Carpenter for this episode, and even the earlier the episode we did earlier this month, I went to Wikipedia, obviously, and it was one of the greatest websites ever, and they had labeled Carpenter's musical style as synthwave. And after rewatching his movies the last couple weeks, I could not agree with this assessment anymore. And like the synthwave style obviously involves synthesizers, it's under the umbrella of the electronic music genre. And to put it in my own words, it involves creating a much more open body of music through digital sounds. Often synthwave comes with an ambient sound backdrop. Like imagine something that sounds like waves crashing into the beach or even noises bleeding into one another, like something off Animal Collective's Fall Be Kind EP, or even the cosmic key and masters of the universe then supplemented with some either simple or maybe even slightly complex lead riffs like yet yeah, pianos can have riffs that eventually come together as some kind of cohesive composition so synthwave it still exists um, in the modern world and in some ways it actually might be more popular than ever and in terms of scoring a film or a tv show i'm sure you all have heard the music in netflix's stranger things which is composed by kyle dixon and michael stein who are in this band called survive from austin texas that has been actually releasing albums as recent as 2018 and I guess if you're looking for a popular example of what synthwave sounds like, the Stranger Thing opening title sequence would be the easiest thing that 
I feel that most of you could easily reference. Maybe Daniel Lotane, aka Unotheix, Point Never, or however you pronounce that, who did the score work for the Softy Brothers 2 movies, Good Time with Robert Pattinson in 2017, and also Uncut Gems uh, with Adam Sandler, which Matt and I did a review of earlier this year. Like that music is something kind of comparable to it, but Lotane's a little bit different, and he kind of offers his own little signature punch on the um, synth wave kind of ambient sound music that I don't think a lot of other musicians really do. So, however, outside of scoring films, I feel the synthwave genre has morphed and popularized through something commonly referred to as Chillwave, which had a brief moment in the sun back in 2011 when IFC's sketch comedy hit Portlandia chose Washed Out's Feel It All Around as the theme song for the show. Now, the premise for Chillwave is actually quite simple. Like, take synthwave, add vocals that people can hardly understand, or vocals that seem to blend in with the waves of the music behind them. Think of Kevin Shields kind of doing a relaxation training tape. And here's my controversial statement of the evening and that shoegaze and chill wave are actually cut from the same cloth. And you can feel free to get at me in the comments. All right, so we're going to forego the usual recommendations section of the Third Spin episodes because I wanted to focus on something way more important, and that is the score for Carpenter's 1982 alien shapeshifter sci-fi horror masterpiece, The Thing, which was actually scored by the legendary Ennio Morricone, who I think I'm going to just refer to as Ennio so I don't butcher that last name uh, as I continue this episode. He uh, made his name early in the scoring industry by scoring movies from Sergio Leone's spaghetti westerns like The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and Once Upon a Time in the West. And a snippet of the former was actually used to open the final Ramones concert in August of 1996 at the Palace in Hollywood, before jumping into their instrumental track, Durango 1995, from their 1984 album, Too Young to Die. So I guess um, the Ramones did this thing where they would play this little snippet from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly before they would jump into one of their songs. It was something that they kind of did to open up some of their shows. And we had discussed before in the Big John Carpenter episode that unused parts of Ennio's Thing score were used in Quentin Tarantino's 2015 Western triumph, The Hateful Eight, which is basically the thing in Wyoming which would make Daisy Domergue the shape-shifting monster. I don't know, just something to think about. She does infect the characters in some way. After listening to the Thing score and the Hateful Eight score, um, and I did buy the Hateful Eight score from the Third Man Record Store in Detroit, giving Jack White and company a major shout out here because they did a really good job on that pressing. And if I was to venture a guess as to what the unused music from the Thing would be, I'm guessing it's this composition called Neve, N-E-V-E, which is also Italian for snow. It appears twice on the Hateful Eight score, once early on in its full 12-minute glory, and then another quick reprise a little bit later on in the album. And there are some atmospheric sounds in the piece that remind me of the Thing score, especially around the 18-19 minute mark on the YouTube video that I found, which is basically just googling the Thing score. So, so that's my theory. But what I did want to mention is while Ennio deserves all of the credit in the world for his work on the Thing score, it wouldn't have been a John Carpenter movie if JC didn't have a little bit of input with the music. So again, from the article that I found on IndieWire, which came out in July, which was shortly after Ennio left this crazy world, that sort of showed a little bit of light on how the Thing score came to fruition. And believe me, unfortunately, there's nothing too crazy here, but the Carpenter flew to Rome, made an offer, Ennio accepted the offer, and flew to LA to work on the music. But after it was all wrapped up, Carpenter went back and 
he added some additional music to what Morricone to Ennio Morricone originally did. And I would have to believe that the additional music Carpenter added is the low synth heart pumping sounds that act as bridges between different compositions in the score, and they also act as sort of bridges in between the scenes in the movie. They also seem to be one of the only pieces of music that is on the score that is an electronic instrument, which of course is Carpenter's signature thing. So that is once again just something that I am floating out there for you guys to think about. And according to the article, Carpenter has no clue on how the unused pieces of music from The Thing ended up in The Hateful Eight, which is a story in and out of itself. John Carpenter is the fucking man. We all know this. He's definitely deserving of a third spin episode, a month, two months of The Occasionalist, whatever it is. This guy is the absolute man. I am totally jealous. And um, okay, I'll give you a couple really quick recommendations. Chillwave artists to check out. Neon Indian. We talk about him a lot on The Occasionalist podcast. Blackbird, Blackbird. Their 2014 album, Tangerine Sky, is totally perfect. Really, really great stuff. And one of my favorites who is not as like hardcore chill wave as Neon Indian would be, but he's definitely in the chill wave family tree. And that is Will Wesenfield, aka Baths, like taking a bath, but plural. Um, Check out his 2010 album, Serlian. He's got a, one called Obsidian. He just released a B-Sides album of False Records and False B-Sides Part 2 or something like that that you can find on Spotify. All really good stuff. This would be the modern form of synthwave, at least as far as something that uh, could take the music to the next level. Yeah, that is going to be it for me, and that's all I got for this episode. So Matt and I will be back uh, very soon as we continue to make our way through spooky season. And until then, this is Adam Chimalewski, and I will see you on the third spin. Thank you.